if you have a plan that is well explained, such as know that others know exactly what is expected of them, then that's what you can expect of them. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer. Welcome, everybody, to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and they call me the Vibrant Coach. And I am here with a special guest today. His name is Charles D. McCarrick, but I just called his voicemail, and I think I get to call him Charlie, so I'm very excited about that. <laughs> we're, we're now on a nickname basis, so that's cool. He's an entrepreneur, an inventor, and a lead visionary at Micro Ant. And this is not about bugs. It's about antennas. That's what I found out. With more than 10 patents to his name, he pioneers and supplies unique equipment to the communications industry. Charles' most defining characteristic is enthusiasm for new ideas, for the people who work with him, and for the continuous quality improvement he does on the daily. By cultivating people's confidence and creativity, Charlie has forged a top-notch team that delivers new technologies into the hands of customers and value to his investors. Now he delivers this book of life lessons to you. We're going to talk all about it on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. And you can find more out about Charles at www.charlesmccarrick.com. And I've got a copy of the book right here, Lessons My Brothers Taught Me. So I'm excited to talk to you about this. Look, Charles, look at all of the stuff I've got in here that I've been reading in your book. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for that very vibrant introduction. (laughs) And and I'm glad glad you pointed out that we are not in the business of exterminating ants. So sometimes people can make that, uh, make, uh, confuse that. Yeah, well, it's all in the naming, but I went and looked it up. I'm like, surely he's not an exterminator, although there's nothing wrong with being an exterminator, (laughs) let me tell you. It's all good stuff. Well, I'd love to talk about your new book. It's a number one bestseller. I think people need to find out about it. Is that a good way for us to get going? I think that's the perfect way to go. Okay, fantastic. So when I was reading your book in the first chapter, um, it talks about this idea that uh, you have before you start a business, before you get into business, before you become a serious leader, uh, you have to do some self-assessment. You say in here, uh, before embarking on anything near as monumental as starting your own business or being a leader, you should first begin with self-assessment of what personal qualities exist in your toolbox that can be employed to your benefit. And I was like, oh my God, Charles and I are of the same thinking because I have a coaching methodology and it begins with self-assessment. So share with me a little bit about self-assessment. What do leaders need to do in terms of self-assessment? Sure. Um, in order to achieve any goal, you have to understand what your objective is. You have to know what the motivation is that is going to drive and get you there. I mean, that's partly strategy, it's partly planning and putting the path forward, but really it's those that innate character within you that you're going to call upon to drive and to persevere and to never give up. So that's why I said these qualities, character, this is what gets an entrepreneur going because if we were to characterize an entrepreneur, we might say they're a leader, they're a visionary and all these things, but what I think gives them a distinction in terms of character they tend to be free thinkers and risk takers and willing to push forward uh, by all means necessary in order to succeed at their objective. 
Yeah, I would agree. I, I fit in that category. I'm a, a free thinker and a strategic thinker and uh, an entrepreneur myself. I think that's absolutely true. I love also that you have in your book the four S's, and you said these are principles that you have in place, um, you know, in order to make sure you're taking care of your your company in a great way. And the four S's were saleability, sensibility, sustainability, and scalability. I love the four S's. Uh, how have you used the four S's to to move MicroAnt forward or help other leaders move their business forward? Well, I didn't come up uh, or was even aware of the concept early on. I had to make many mistakes first. During COVID, when a lot of ambitious things took place, I think when people were working at home, mine was to write a book. And uh, I wrote the book really for myself because I was reflecting on how successful the company was, the things that we overcame, such as COVID and uh, the successes we had. And, and I just want to have a better, better understanding. What were the problems? How did we convert those obstacles into opportunities? And I wanted to teach myself what it was that, uh, what was the essence that made us successful? And as I, uh, I was building the manuscript and reading it more and more, I realized that there was a theme that was forming. And the theme was that every situation, instance that we got into, we got out of, mostly by not smart business sense, but good character. In other words, letting uh, yourself follow the path of what you knew was right, following the path, integrity, following the high road, as they say. And as I was to break down these various characters, I, I realized that some were actually human traits, but others were traits that you could actually ascribe to the business. And so of the four S's, it's, which I eventually broke down, those are the four categories of character that both a, uh, a person and, and a business possess. I realized that there was actually a transition or a transformation that could, that could exist such that an individual with the right character, the, might, the right uh, frame of mind and the right set of goals could transition those character traits into a business of similar character and uh, eventually success. So that's how it came about. And um, that is pretty much has served me for the past couple of years as a very, very good template in how to solve decisions going forward. Yeah, I love that. So again, the four S's are saleability, sensibility, scalability, and sustainability. And he's got a really nice diagram in the book where it talks about, you know, if the human, the entrepreneur, the leader, the people inside the company uh, have those four qualities, then you're going to, you know, human quality equals company quality. That's what I pulled out of that. I just thought that was a great way to think about it. Beautiful, beautifully stated. Do you mind if I write that down? <laughs> yeah, we, yes, you can just quote me in the book. Absolutely. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I will that. quote you going forward. I will quote you going forward because that is precisely, and you said it better than I did, but that is the concept I was trying to convey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, you also talk about in the book, and, uh, and I love this because I think, uh, you know, even if you're not the entrepreneur is so important to have an entrepreneurial spirit. And so in the book, you talk about that you've, you're headed your entrepreneurial spirit um, inside of you. And it's just the spirit that wants to do better and better and better. Um, so how, how could people tap into their entrepreneurial spirit? I think it's in everybody, but I'm not sure everybody knows it's in there. I think it is in everybody. You are absolutely right. And Many times we suppress it for a variety of reasons. One is that maybe we simply lack 
the self-confidence to yes. be able to strike out on our own and dare to be in control of your own destiny. Let's face it, it's a lot more comfortable and easy to take the path that is straightforward, easy sailing, working in, you know, working for another business where they worry about all of the things like taxes, uh, generating customers and all that sort of thing. But now you're responsible for all of that. Well, um, it's a lot to take on. And for people in experience and not having done that before, either academically or, uh, have, or actually being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, it can be scary you know, to take that leap. And my message to them is, well, it, it's worth exploring within yourself whether or not the entre entrepreneurial step is worth taking. But break it down into smaller steps, things that are easily managed and get yourself closer to that goal. So if you decide you do want to fl flick the switch, it's a, just a step away. Yeah. And, you know, even if you do choose the, the path of working for somebody else, that, that entrepreneur always needs somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit to come alongside them, uh, you know, and help them. And so in my mind, an entrepreneurial spirit is what you have, you've quoted in the book, which is this desire for things to get better, uh, but also to like play the game of business. Uh, I think business is just a big game. I, you know, I don't know, did you have a grandmother who played Monopoly with you and was ruthless and never let you win? That's, that's my story. <laughs> That's my beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. Uh, she never let me win. Finally, uh, you know, I got close to beating her one time. Uh, so in the book, you also talk about um, goal setting and, and the fact that, you know, sometimes you're not always going to re reach your goals, but that's okay. Will you talk a little bit about your philosophy on goal setting and failure? Having an idea is the most valuable thing. No matter how many ideas you have in your head, your head doesn't need to expand you don't gain any weight, ideas, right? They're just ideas and they are a potential for energy. And so what I say in the book about, it's not so much the success or the failure of an idea, it's the execution of it because that's where the energy is. That's where the kinetic energy is that puts that idea into motion. And yeah. what I was, what the, the, the point I was trying to make is keep the ideas flowing. You know, keep them moving. The more ideas you have, sooner or later, one's going to stick. Whether you have a thousand ideas or two ideas, or what's, what's the difference? They're cheap, they're easy, they're free, and it's an expression of the brain, which is why I would say, like you said, if you are an entrepreneur and working for another company, there's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure you're in a company that appreciates your ideas and allows you that, that level of creativity that is going to help them and yourself succeed. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the people that are risk taking, that was one of the traits you mentioned earlier that, you know, they know that not every idea is going to be a success. Right. So all these ideas and I love what you said, they're free, they're available. Why not use them? <laughs> I love that. And so we put them out there, we see what happens. But, you know, if, if we didn't have that failure, we wouldn't know what does work. Right. So you're, you're right. gathering data the whole time. Right. That's fantastic. All right. Good. All right. And now let's flip over to chapter two. And in chapter two, you talk about developing partnerships. And uh, I, I underlined a couple of things here that I thought were really great. It says the world around you is populated by people who will be essential to your success in your business as either employees, vendor, vendors, customers, or advisors. There's no hierarchy. They're just all partners. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes people inside of organizations don't realize, you know, we need all of these people to keep the business afloat, not just the customers. So will you talk a little bit about the virtue of being able to develop great partnerships? 
right? Partnerships exist not only with, uh, within the company, but on the supply side, the customer side, the advisor side. And you need all of these. The very first job that I executed, I did, I, I say in the book that I did it all by myself, meaning that I designed it, that I had created all the uh, drawings to have it manufactured. I ordered the parts, the parts came in, I built it, I tested, I boxed it, I shipped it. But you think of all of the collaboration that had to take place outside of the company to make that happen. First, I had to go to a vendor who knew that I had no credit, but was willing to extend it to me because they believed enough in me that I was going to succeed. And one day I was going to be a very good customer of theirs, which turned out to be true. And on top of the vendor, then there were those who were willing to license me the equipment and lend it to me again when the business had no credit. Finally, the customer who had the trust and faith in me to have the wherewithal to execute that transaction. Now, I had no proven history with them. They simply believed in me. And that partnership built the very first pathway to success, which I was able to exercise again and again and again and to scale until it became a sustainable business. Mm, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I think that there's some serious leadership traits, you know, back to this idea of traits, quality human produces a quality company. So what are some traits that um, you had that help you, con- you know, had these people like decide to loan you money, loan you uh, access to the equipment you needed? What kind of leader do I need to be? That's a really good question. At the time, I wouldn't have characterized myself as a leader because I was alone in the company. But as you put it that way, clearly these people had uh, believed in me and felt that I had the integrity to be a person of my word and that uh, win, lose, draw, I was going to do my absolute best to succeed. And I think that they saw that quality in me, that perseverance, that desire, that passion to, to, to not quit and to, to win, that they believed in it. Perhaps it was infectious, maybe by enthusiasm in itself. But as terms of a leadership per se, I would say that a leader and leadership is an agreement that you have with people that are willing to be led. And part of that agreement is they are setting expectations that you understand and that you promise to execute in their behalf and to their satisfaction. Yeah. And, and I think uh, in your bio, one of the greatest traits uh, is this idea of enthusiasm. My guess is you were seriously enthusiastic about this thing that you were doing too, right? Yeah. So setting expectations, being a man of integrity and a man of great uh, enthusiasm can definitely help you uh, get your uh, your project, your entrepreneurial endeavor moving forward. That's fantastic. Now, I uh, you may not know this, Charles, but I uh, have recruiting as one of the things that we do inside of Build a Vibe culture. And uh, you had a whole thing in here about interviewing. And I thought, oh, I'm going to ask him about this because, you know, I interview people all the time. So you say in the book, and this is in chapter three, you say, um, what I've learned while interviewing candidates is to focus on three key traits. Now, don't miss this, everybody. He, he keeps using this word traits. So it's the quality of the man, the quality of the human, the quality of the woman who produces the quality of the company. And so the first trait that you say you interview for is intelligence. So um, what questions do you ask or what do you uh, what do you look for when interviewing people to make sure that they've got that high IQ? 
if I'm sitting with a person um, and interviewing them, we've already made it past their resume, mm-hmm. meaning that I believe that they have the experience and the skills necessary to do the job. I might ask a few questions to refine that a little bit more if I need additional convincing. But at this point, I really know want to know who they are. Are they going to fit into our culture? Are they going to be like-minded in terms of our passion, enthusiasm for uh, execution and success? So by intelligence, I will ask them to explain various things about themselves and to talk about various situations and how they analyze that situation, whether they see what the root cause or, the, or what was at the heart, what the important thing was, the ability to prioritize, prioritize that which was important and, that, and something else was simply symptomatic. So that is, a, that, that is uh, one way that I would do it. For instance, if uh, I was to say, well, you know, somebody fell in the pool and Joe jumped in to save them and in so doing slipped and hurt his ankle. And if they were to focus on the ankle aspect of it, the first thing we say, well, did they save the person in the pool, right? I mean, now this is really dumbing it down, but right, getting down to the important thing, that's, uh, that, that's what I'm talking about, that they can actually extract from the question the important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I, I think I'm right with you here. Um, you know, you said what I've learned in interviewing candidates is to focus on these three things. First one's intelligence. The second one is work ethic. Um, how do you know somebody's got get up and go? What do you look for? What questions do you ask about work ethic? That's a good question because I have been seen many times where they pass muster on everything else. And then it comes in and I am confounded by they say everything right. They know their job inside and out, and yet they simply don't execute. I can't understand. They sit at their desk essentially doing nothing. And I'm just confounded by this. So in the future, what I like to know is of situations that they were involved in and what they did. What the, even if it was physically, right, as well as mentally, how they managed to navigate through that problem. And I listened carefully to see, did they navigate through it? Did they come up with a strategy? How did they participate in it? Was it done in real time? Were they engaged? Were they involved? That's the kind of thing that I look for. I want to know that there is an engagement in whatever whatever situation they're describing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's the big buzzword out there, employee engagement. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that we're, we're talking about about employee engagement is, you know, is the employer doing enough to get the people engaged? But at the same time, employees have to want to be engaged. They have to, you know, decide that they want to go to work. So I think that's the flip side of that story. Yeah, I love that. And then this one's interesting. Your third key trait was submission to authority. So that's a real strong little statement, submission to authority. So I'm curious, uh, one of your key traits you look for in the interview is submission to authority. Will you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Authority is not necessarily a manager. Authority is the prime directive of the company to succeed. And what you want to make sure is that everybody is on board with what the company is trying to execute and so that they contribute to its success. Now, work ethic, right, is interesting as well as intelligence. But I think, I believe that integrity is very, very closely coupled with whether or not pers- a person, an individual is going to fit into a culture 
and is going to be flourish in that culture, opposed to languishing or even poisoning the culture simply because they will not respect the authority, the codes and the ethics of the company. And I have seen this an issue. It's typically a character flaw in that person and the kind of things that you would want to find with, find out about them asking about anything. Maybe they were on a fishing trip. Tell me about the fishing trip. Tell me about the fish you caught. And then from that, you can see what they were involved in, how they participated. Were they the only one holding the rod, reeling in the fish, or were they actually helping to cut the bait? Were they participating in all those things that lead to the, the successful consequence? So that's what I mean by submission to authority. I don't mean listening to the boss. Right. I mean, I mean you know, following the, the, the code and ethics of the company. Yeah, I love that because when I first read it, that was the first thing that went through my head. I was like, wait, read closer, Nicole. Uh, you know, <laughs> because uh, I was like, I really want to know about this because, I, I, you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, like, these are our core values. So, like, it's not optional to do these core values. The the core values have an authority over us, right? You know, here's the mission we're on. You know, we give excellent customer service. So, if you don't submit to the idea of the authority of giving excellent customer service, it's just not going to work out. I mean, you can't give, you know, that's halfway right. customer service, right? That, that's exactly right. I think I went on to say that, like it or not, a business is a dictatorship, right? It's not a democracy. And I've seen companies that make decisions by committee. That's more or less a democratic principle. They can't get things done because you need a person in a leadership position to say, let's go this way. Even if it's the wrong way, at least somebody's pointing in the direction that everyone goes. Um, and so what I mean by that additionally is that there is a team, there is an, there, there is an organizational chart, and there's a higher, hierarchy. Those things aren't necessarily people as they are operational, and you need to respect that. If you can where your place is in it and how you can best contribute, because your job, my job, everyone's job is to make those around them succeed. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I love what you're saying. Uh, so I'm going to repeat what he said, everybody, in case you missed it. He said, you've got an organizational chart, you've got a hierarchy, but these things are in place um, so that you can respect those areas, right? And so I think that's huge because, I mean, there's a lot of companies where the the senior leadership overstepped their bounds and they get, in, you know, go over here and mess over in this thing and they didn't, they didn't check with uh, who's leading that particular area you know so the cfo is doing something we got to check with him before we get in there and tell the accountants how to do the invoicing <laughs> so it can create a big mess all right so i love that i love that okay um so in here um uh, we're going on to the next chapter um which i love this too uh is making sure that you've got people um, with skills is one thing. We interview them, right? We interview them for their intelligence. We interview them for their uh, you know, ability to follow authority, um, all those things. But then uh, you say skill, this is tweetable, everybody. Skill is only as valuable as how it's managed and employed. So I'm going to tweet that out and give you credit for that. I think that's so true. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could interview all the best people on the planet and get them all to work for you. But if you don't manage that skill, we have a mess. That's right. And, you know, and the talk is cheap. And many times people can say exactly what wants to be heard. But the execution is uh, right where the rubber hits the road. That is what makes the difference. Uh, 
So I have seen people of incredible skill fail miserably simply because they're following their own agenda or they're working in a silo or they do not follow the processes or workflow plans that the company has established. You're never going to succeed if you can't submit to those, like, no matter how much skill or intelligence or other other things that you have going for you, you have to be part of the team. You have to be part of the plan. And uh, that's, that's what I'm trying to point out in that per- particular passage. Yeah. And um, the thing about, like, again, intelligence, work ethic, and then can submit to authority of what we're trying to do here. The thing about work ethic is, I don't know about you, but like early in my career, I was a real go-getter. I mean, but but I did not have anybody managing my skill very closely. You know, it's like if somebody was a go-getter, it's kind of like you left them alone, but it's almost like the go-getters are the ones you need to pay a little more attention to because you can get even more <laughs> skill out of them. You know what I mean? You can get more That's energy right. out That's of right. them. Yeah. Yeah. So your experience with that, your thoughts about go-getters versus, you know, the the person you were talking about who's sitting at their desk dust that confounds you, which is such a great word, confound. Everybody write that down. Good vocabulary word of the day from Charles here. <laughs> I can clearly see that you are, in fact, a go-getter. And uh, <laughs> you, you are an entrepreneur through and through. The thing is, you have people with enormous energy, like you know, when we each started out early in our careers, oh, the job succeeding, that meant everything. Yeah. And um, we would do it selflessly because you know, the success in doing something that was good for the company and knowing that you were part of it was the reward in itself. Mm-hmm. But not everybody has that ethic, work ethic, and not everybody has that same sentiment. That doesn't mean that those people aren't going to succeed, but you want to always manage them and to channel their strengths, because everybody has strengths, in a way that will succeed for them and succeed for the company overall. And so that's where good management, good leadership, communication uh, comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. So let me repeat it again, because you're probably thinking, say it again, Nicole. So here it is. Skill is only as valuable as how it is managed and employed. So that's leadership right there. That's a, that's a good definition of leadership. All right. I love that. Okay. So throughout the book too, I just want to say, and again, the book that we're uh, talking about today is Lessons My Brothers Taught Me. It's by Charles McCarrick. And that's who we're talking today to today on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. You've got another really great line in here that I underlined. It says, uh, in business, try not to act, react emotionally. Instead, gather facts then draw your conclusions and respond with some common sense. Now that sounds like something my grandma who beat me at Monopoly would say. <laughs> well, your grandmother would be right. And I said in business, <laughs> in business, but reality in life, right? Whenever you react to something emotionally, other than running away from a spider, you <laughs> really shouldn't be making a decision in that frame of mind. You don't want to be just reactionary and then, oh my gosh, to make a situation even worse. Sometimes the response can be even worse than the stimulus. So you want to give yourself some period of time to assimilate the information, go through the process of getting the emotions under control and try to understand why am I having such a strong emotional reaction about this? And then try to break this down into what the root cause not only of the feelings, but of the issue are. And then dealing with that, because if you're dealing with emotions, you're dealing through emotions, invariably, you're going to only uh, exacerbate a bad situation. So 
this is where calmness and coolness is always the uh, always the way to go. But it's normal for you to have any of us to have an emotional response to something. Just don't make decisions, important decisions in that frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so what Charles is talking about here is this this thing called emotional intelligence, right? Trying to uh, get your amygdala, you know, your lizard brain back here, calm down uh, so that you can eventually come to your prefrontal cortex, which, you know, I've talked about this a lot on the show, uh, where, you know, you can actually put facts, figures you know, concepts, ask good, powerful questions so you can figure out what's really going on before you make those decisions. So I think that was solid advice. All right. Now you've got a whole chapter that I love and its uh, title is uh, parentheses in parentheses effectiveness. Okay. So, so it's all about whether you're an effective or an ineffective leader. So will you talk a little bit maybe about what makes somebody ineffective and makes them effective. And I'm curious, uh, you know, the title of the book, The Lessons My Brothers Taught Me, uh, what did they teach you about being effective and ineffective? Mm. Well, a manager is not necessarily a leader, a good leader. A manager is generally the person who executes the strategies. They may participate in them, they may not, but they manage the expectations given by the uh, the directive above. Well, growing up with my brothers, they were the directive above. And the directives tend to be something that always had me at, as a, at a disfavor. I say that they were passionate about my education. The reality, they were passionate about their amusement of putting me and my other brothers into situations that were both uncomfortable and and, and, and meant, to, uh, meant to be stacked against us. In those situations, as I realized going through, there was nothing I could have done except live through it. It was going to happen. It was coming. And I could have gone to the left or gone to the right and said, oh, my gosh, you know, this was awful. You know, the world is an unfair place. But what I believe is those times of adversity, that is when character is built. The question is, is it good character or is it bad character? Whether it's good or bad depends on your perception of how and what you learned during that situation. I went through so many of these with my brothers. I got to the point that I actually enjoyed their hijinks because it became a challenge for me how I was going to navigate through this and come out intact. And you think, well, that's just normal growing up. But as an adult, you realize those character traits that you have, you, you built those when you were quite young, when you were a child, through situations where you viewed it a particular perspective. And as you can see in the book, I had an extremely colorful and varied childhood with my brothers around and the, the sort of hijinks that went on. And I thought this was common to a lot of families, but with others who read the book, they were aghast at some of the <laughs> situations that would take place. And they all say, I don't know how you lived through it, but uh, you do live through it. And, uh, and if you do, as I did, then you were able to apply those principles into something greater and larger in life, like running a business or leading other people. So as far as effective leadership, you take those things which you learned throughout your life and built your character and you share them as a leader with those that are willing to follow you and that respect your ability to lead them. So that's what I mean by ineffective leadership because I have seen both. 
<laughs> effective. I think everybody listening has seen both too. And, it, and, and you're right. It boils down to character, right? So, um, and, and I kind of, I'm hearing this old, old thing. We've all heard this one before. It sounds like Charles experienced this. What does it kill you? Make you stronger, uh, you know, with his brothers and everything, you know, the hijinks that they were up to. Uh, but I think, I think it's so important. So, you know, in my shine coaching methodology, when I'm coaching an executive or working with a team, we do the the very thing you're talking about, self-assessment. Then you got to have these good habits in place, good interviewing, all the things we've talked about so far, developing people's skills. Um, But then at the bottom line, you know, the leader has to be a man or a woman of integrity. Um, And, you know, I think everybody's on the hook, Charles. It's like, we know good leadership, like you said, and we know bad. And you just have to go, you know, go to the light, right? Be vibrant. That's what I like to tell people. Move towards the light. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Now, uh, in the book, I love this. There's a page. Page 86 is a very good page. All right. Everybody, we're reading and going through lessons my brothers taught me how to transform your personal qualities, right? We keep talking about qualities, character traits, into a successful business. So you have this list of symptoms of ineffective leadership. And I think like everybody listens to this list. I think it's fantastic uh, because you'll be like, "Uh uh-oh, we have some work to do at whatever your company is. So if you have these things going on, these are symptoms of ineffective leadership. Priorities are ignored. Processes are not followed. The wrong people are assigned to the wrong task. Information silos are created. Communication breakdowns occur. Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking maybe, Charles, everybody will want your help because they're like, whoa, we have all five of these. Well, if (laughs) the company won't won't rally behind a single individual, then they are going to rally to themselves. And any everybody wants to succeed at their job generally. So they will fill in the gaps that are missing from uh, due to ineffective leadership and those gaps. Maybe they fit in right with the with the corporate plan, or maybe they don't, but it works for them. And silos, as everyone knows, when you start having silos building your company, unless uh, unless you're operating a farm, that's a big problem because now you have information that isn't shared and you have people that are that are extracting themselves away from uh, isolating themselves away from the corporate culture. And now you have a leader who becomes more and more frustrated. And in the book, I'm talking about a very specific example of someone that we hired as a leader who on paper was a triple A player, an all star. You said this person is going to come in and change the company. Well, let me tell you, they did. And they did not <laughs> change it for the better. And I tried my dad is to understand what went wrong. I I would socialize with this person. They were articulate. They were smart. They were gregarious. And yet nobody liked this person. And openly, you didn't see it so much. But after this person left, they said, if that person didn't leave, we were all gone. I said, whoa, how did I how did I miss that? (laughs) And then I realized the person had absolute no sellability. They did not see this person as a leader because they did not believe that this person had their best interests in mind, did not have a plan or an objective that they could rally behind and follow and that they were always put to blame. There was never any incentive or motivation to succeed. It was all negatively reinforced by do this or else. And mm. now taking a step back and looking at it behind us, I say, absolutely. 
Uh, that, that, that explains it perfectly. But at the time, barely aware of what was going on. Yeah. And so he, he just mentioned one of his four S's. So I'm going to backtrack there for just a second because you're like, what are those four S's again? I know that's what you're thinking. So uh, saleability, uh, meaning that he could not get his leadership or her leadership message across. Is that what you're saying? Right. But having saleability, meaning that yeah, you are the type, that a minute. You, uh, you are the type of person or you express the type of qualities that other people want to interact with. In other words, it's, it's a lot like being likable. Having uh-huh. saleability is what is essentially what you emote, how you radiate yourself to the world and the things, the perceptions that other people have about you. You can't say, I'm going to be a nice person. You need to be a nice person. You can't say, right. I'm going to have this particular trait. You That must be inherent in you. That must be part of your core belief for that to uh, succeed. So saleability is essentially what you radiate from yourself to the world and uh once out there, people make a decision whether or not you are the type of person they want to interact with, which they want to transact with, or especially whether they want you to lead them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so it's saleability, sensibility, sustainability, and scalability. So those are all the S's. So check that out in Charles's book, Lessons My Brothers Taught Me. All right. And so uh, here are the benefits of effective management. Uh, priorities are clearly communicated. Information is transferred quickly. The right people are assigned to the right task, and everyone has a well-defined understanding of what they're responsible for. So um, I love your litmus test for ineffective and effective communication. So what, what does a leader need to do to get this effective communication in place? What are some linchpin activities? activities that a leader can do to make sure all those things are happening. You know, as you say it, as you read off that list, I can see how much it sounds just like common sense. You would think, well, of course. Oh, uh, well, common sense isn't uh, common, Charles. <laughs> well, in, in business, you, yes, you are exactly right. You probably know better than anyone, Nicole. The thing is, if you have a plan that is well explained, such as no, others know exactly what is expected of them, then that's what you can expect of them. And I don't necessarily mean you go around telling people what you do and then they and you sort of manage that through. You have to have processes in place that are consist that are consistent, that were actually developed by the very people that are executing them, that are quality assurance minded, that are easily managed in such a way that if you what you're doing is consistent and it's clear and you can see what that you are doing and how it contributes to the overall strategy and goals of the company. Everybody feels good. And that's where you get effective management. I, you, you had somebody on your show recently called Rich Rusikoff. Yeah. And I had listened to his podcast and Rich was so spot on with yeah, his definition of the leader and leadership qualities. And that was one of the things that he said that resonated with me. And I said, ah, it's right on with that. Uh, but this is one of the things that Rich highlighted as well. People have to have a plan that they can understand, that they're willing to follow, and it makes sense. That's right. That's right. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's, the, here's the final question I have for you. Um, another one of the things, and throughout the book, what I love that you did, in the, Charles, is that you kept saying, you know, like, here's the moral of the story. Here's, here's the bottom line of what I'm talking about in this chapter. So, you know, uh, even if you can't, you get the book and you can't get, you know, your stack of books is huge like mine, uh, although I love this book, uh, you know, you can go in here and you can open it up and you can see the one little moral of the story. Um, which are all great takeaways. And this one is this, um, 
good leaders are only as good as the team willing to follow them. And I think that is absolutely true. You, you know, you could be leading and turn around, nobody's there. So it's very important to check that the followers are in the rearview mirror. So we talk a little bit about how a leader develops good followers. Yes, I don't mean to say. I, I don't mean to say that a bad team is a. It has nothing to do with the team, right? You have a good team because you have a leader in place that brings out the very best in that team. And this, as, as I put uh, in the book, that the, my simple definition of a leader is simply a person that others are willing to follow. The question right. is, why are they willing to follow this person? Right? And as we said, they have their best interests in mind. But the thing that really makes a leader stand out is they're genuine. There is nothing artificial about them. But first and foremost, they care. They don't go through the motions of caring, but they actually care. And if you have somebody who cares, and you and people know whether you care yes, about them or not, they or they're do. being managed, that will bring out the absolute best in them. And I think if I was to leave everyone with a final uh, one message, that is right. If you're a person that does not care about the objective that you're going after, you're going after the wrong objective. Hmm, 100%. Oh, that is a great nugget to finish out our time together. So everybody, it has been my pleasure. Thank you, Charles, so much. Thank you for being on the Thank Build Vibrant Culture podcast. Oh, that podcast. went so fast, though. Went too, by too yes. fast. <laughs> yeah, it flew by. But listen, everybody, the book is called Lessons My Brothers Taught Me. And here's the deal. Uh, you can find Charles in a lot of places. I'm linked in with him already. I suggest you go over to LinkedIn and look up Charles McCarrick. And let me spell that last name for you. M-C-C-A-R-R-I-C-K. And when you get him, get it on there, you'll see his book right there. Um, and make sure you do that. And then also you can visit him at his website, which is the same as his name, www.charlesmccarrick.com. Anything else you'd like to share before we sign off? No, Nicole, except thank you so much. You are a wonderful podcaster. And I understand where the word vibrant comes. You certainly have a vibrant personality. I, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. <laughs> All right, everybody. I know you love this episode. Please go down and press the like button. And then if you would please subscribe to Build a Vibrant Culture podcast, I'd be most appreciative. And then definitely go out there and link in with Charles McCarrick. Thank you so much, Charles. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Nicole. Bye-bye. Ready to build your vibrant culture? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her strategies, systems, and smarts to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Your organization will get lit from within. Email Nicole at NicoleGreer.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at NicoleGreer.com.